Michigan Short Track Racing Authority is Horsepower Happenings. Curtis Roberts, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. The Northport, Florida driver, Danny Sams III, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Travis Stemler, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Steve Irwin, welcome into Horsepower Happenings, my friend. Director of Race Operations for the ASA Stars National Tour, Joe Ballish, welcome. Over 50 years of industry experience, from behind the wheel to behind the microphone. Here comes Stambaugh into turns three and four. Stambaugh to the lift. Stambaugh sideways, Greg Dolman wins. Yeah, guys, wholesale uh, right side tire changes, that that seems to be the decision. All down. Oh. Exclusive interviews every week. Hear from drivers, track owners, series promoters, and so much more. You know, after about eight hours of months in medical center, they uh, they were pretty adamant about me staying out of the car for quite a while. It'll be, it'll be my first stab at driving a race car that I haven't prepared from end to end, that I'm not calling the shots on, all of that, all at once. Plus, local news, analysis, and opinions you didn't ask for. She is not going to have any excuses. That is some of the best equipment there at Anti Camp and Racing that money can buy. This points fund is massive. These races are massive. These are some of the most high-paying races in the country. From the Be Cool Radiator Studio, presented by CNT Services, here are Zach Heiser and Rich France. Good evening, race fans, and welcome into Horsepower Happenings on an exciting Monday night. A whole lot to unpack from the weekend, and uh, we got to get into it, so let's go. What's happening in a Motor City Minute? How about William Byron goes two in a row for Hendrick Motorsports? Will the win stand? Nobody really knows. Hendrick Motorsports under investigation this week. Had a couple of parts confiscated by NASCAR. Interesting to see uh, what will become of that. Logan Seavey picks up a win in the Midgets down at Paragon Speedway in Indiana. That's just uh, to the southwest uh, of Indianapolis if you're looking for Paragon Speedway. Cute little place down there. Uh, Katie Hettinger, great start for her in the Cars Pro Late Model Tour. She uh, was up front, was in second twice, but of course got uh, the restart on the outside at Southern National a couple of times, just did not go her way. She ended up bringing it home in fifth for the Cars Pro Late Model Tour. And uh, we start our show tonight with uh, thoughts and prayers going out to Mark Dobmeyer, involved in a vicious crash in the American Sprint Car Series over the weekend. He flipped wildly off the end of turn number one before his car burst into flames. He's currently dealing with second and third degree burns up and down his body. So our thoughts and prayers with Mark Dobmeyer this evening. That and so much more happening in a Motor City Minute. Good evening. Welcome in. I'm Zach Heiser. Rich France joins me from across the way. What a loaded weekend of auto racing, Rich. Back in Michigan, Zach, I come home and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you're exactly right, man. Um, Wow. The ASA Stars National Tour, ASA branding back uh, in in a national light for the first time in about 20 years. Um, What a what a I mean, just what a weekend. That's all you can say. Yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, Zach, the ASA uh, National Tour used to be the hottest ticket. Uh, at Pensacola High Bank throughout the 1990s and through the early 2000s. History repeated itself on Saturday uh, as some of the fans flocked back to the famed half-mile asphalt oval for the debut of the new ASA Stars National Tour. 36 of the nation's elite super late model drivers were looking to win uh, the Sunshine State 200 uh, when the dust finally cleared after nearly 20 cautions. Casey Roderick had written another successful chapter uh, in his decorated story down in the Gulf Coast area, 
while grabbing a huge $20,000 payday. Roderick would lead the final 28 laps driving away, but the story itself, Zach, was far from boring. Bubba Pollard seemed to be in control late uh, after overcoming early mechanical issues and being down a lap, uh, but following the restart with lap third, with 30 laps remaining, Pollard would, Pollard would roll through turns three and four, nose to tail with Roderick. Casey would make ever so slight contact coming off turn four, uh, but it was enough to send Pollard around on the main straightaway. Uh, Pollard then got collected by several cars, ending his night. Uh, Roderick admitted uh, his mistake in victory lane in his victory lane interview, and really seems rather subdued. Uh, that he wasn't real happy uh, about how he won the race, felt bad about it. And then in tech inspection, it all broke loose. Pollard and Roderick uh, would have a physical altercation over the incident. And Zach, uh, something tells me this deal isn't over yet at all. Jeremy Doss and Ty Majeski would complete the podium for the inaugural ASA Stars National Tour event. And Zach, I got to ask you, first of all, for the event, did thing are surrounding an inaugural event like the ASA Stars National Tour. Man, there was so much hype uh, for this for this race, and I, I was talking actually. I uh, had a phone conversation earlier today. Um, a lot of hype, a lot of drama, everything that you like about an inaugural event, right? Now everybody's going to be tuning in for Madison. What's going to happen between Casey Roderick and Bubba Pollard? What's going to happen is, are we going to see Van Meter and Yorkovic again, right? Those two got into it. A lot of drivers, a lot of drama. Um, I think that I think this has a good foundation. Uh, a couple of things need some adjustments, and and uh, ASA uh, promoter Bob Sargent knows that. He said that we've got some things that we're going to come together and we're going to look at. And we're going to we're going to we're going to change. We're going to talk about. But when social media is blowing up about your race, that's that's a good one for me, right? Yeah, but I, I have a question. Do do they have to get these egos under control that they can't do this every single week, or do they care? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that that's what you want every week at, at one of your events. I don't. I don't know that that's a positive. I think let's table this for just one story, and we'll come back. We to can it. do that. Okay. All right. Because yep. it, it it ties in with something else that happened over the weekend, uh, and it really was a dramatic weekend, even here in the United States or all the way over in South Africa. Now, if you uh, tuned in to uh, some of the live videos from either Sheffer Racing or Jason Blonde Racing, of the racing going on for Team USA over in Africa, they tore up a lot of stuff. There was some hurt feelings, and there was some high blood pressure in South Africa. So I don't know what's going on in the universe right now, but race car drivers are a little on edge, okay? So just beware of that. Um, it's been a tough winter. <laughs> it has. And so, uh, as we mentioned last week, results are hard to come by. Um, so here's what we can tell you. Uh, Sheffer's 88 car was involved in an accident on track and was unable to continue, and they ended up playing musical cars. Robert Tyler ended up going to the 47 car, which Jason Blonde was racing. Jason got penalized for getting out of his car after that accident took place because he was red hot fired up mad and went over and had a discussion with none other than the promoter of the event who helps get the USA guys there, who was also in a race car. They ended up having a little altercation, and both of their nights were done after they both got out of their race car in the middle of an event. That gets you canned. So they were done. So Jason ended up being crew chief for the remainder of the night. Robert Tyler ended up in the 47 car. Keith Sheffer went to the 45, which is the car that Robert was driving. And then Brian Paulus and Brian Tyler ended up staying 
right where they were. Now, uh, there was a little confusion. I thought that Brian Tyler had won the race. Then there was a discrepancy that he had not won the race because there was a caution flag and they went back to the last completed lap. Again, it's South Africa. They're just having fun. Um, official results are nowhere to be found. The, the the point is, they went over there, they had a good showing the last two weeks, and uh, Team USA is ready to come home. <laughs> I think they need to come home. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of drama on, on Saturday night at the Rock Raceway in South Africa. So, uh, Team USA, uh, today was their final day, final full day in USA, or yesterday was their final full day in, in Africa, and so they should be home very soon. Well, Zach, I think, uh, let, let's go back to our conversation. We'll pick it up where we left off. Um you know, these guys, we, Ashton Winger had an eventful weekend. Um, yeah. Probably a few dollars was posted to get him out, right? Yes. Uh, Bubba, Bubba Pollard got lucky uh, and was fortunate. Uh, there was a gentleman with a star on his chest that could have very <laughs> easily gave him a set of new bracelets, too, uh, down at Pensacola. Um, I don't know that we – I don't know what it is, but I know that it's probably not good for our sport to have this happening um, every weekend at the racetrack. There's got to be a way to, to, to control it. I And see, I just don't know how I feel about it yet. So the Ashton Winger thing, uh, on-track scuffle, ends in a pit, uh, you know, backside pit side brawl uh, that, of course, Ashton Winger and a couple other wingers get arrested. Ashton posts bail. He's out. Uh, G.R. Smith is the other guy involved. He totals a race car, Rich. G.R. Smith ripped the front clip off of his race car trying to end Ashton Winger's night unsuccessfully might I add Ashton went on to race in that event after the checkered flag came out Ashton wanted to end more than just GR's night um and so right that whole thing happens Bubba Pollard Casey Roderick you know Bubba was about this close to getting a new set of bracelets down there at Five Flag Speedway I as a race fan I I miss it right like I have been missing that whole thing where you wreck somebody on the racetrack and you're going to get poked back in the pits um I think about you remember back in the mid 2010s when you know NASCAR said have at it boys and then we had you know we had you know uh, it was it was Jeff Gordon versus Clint Boyer Jeff Gordon versus Brad Keselowski Tony Stewart versus Brad Keselowski Kevin Harvick versus the world those boys went at it and the fans ate it up and I think the short track drivers rich I don't know I don't know if it's the economy I don't know if it's our current situation in life I think they're tired of getting their stuff wrecked on the racetrack and that just being the end of it. Somebody tweets out an apology, says I didn't mean to get into you, and and then it just ends there. And I don't think that they are happy now with just running a guy high at the next race and not giving him room. I think that I think the race car drivers are looking for a more instant punishment for wrecking $1,000 worth of race cars. Yeah, and I, I don't think what happened this weekend is the answer either. Sure. Um, I, I think that's probably... A little extent, especially for a brand new national tour trying to get its feet under its legs and really grow that everybody's in anticipation. They don't want this thing to be a bully pulpit. And, right. and all of a sudden, oh, let's see who's going to fight this. They, Bob Sargent does not want that. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how he wants his events to go. Um, he would much rather see the great racing, which happened most of the night um, outside of the 19 caution flags. Uh, that extended yeah. the night and, and made it awfully long for a 200-lap race. Um, but I don't know. I, I I think there has to be a happy medium, but I I don't think you can let it get as far 
uh, as it did this weekend on either side of the fence. I think that the drama post-race, here, here's what I think. Here's what I think the perfect scenario is. Drama on track leads to drama post-race where people don't go to jail. Pushing and shoving, you know, screaming back and forth. That, I think, right there, it, right there is your perfect bubble because then the race fan goes, again, like I said, oh, man, what's going to happen May 7th at, at Madison? I got to be there. I got to watch it. I can't wait to see. Or even late model racing in general, man, when's the next time Bubba Pollard and Casey Roderick are going to be on the track together? Well, I will tell you something. Casey Roderick's victory lane interview on the front stretch. If you looked at Casey Roderick and then you saw the interview back in tech afterwards, yeah, his face did not look the same. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> there was a considerable difference. Yes, there was a little battle wound, uh, a little battle wound there. But and to your point, Casey showed remorse. I think is another thing. He, he immediately did, he immediately. did show he wasn't even happy winning the race. But the point being. Bubba Pollard does not care. You wrecked me. I ended up with a tore-up race car and nowhere near $20,000 in my bank account. Screw you, buddy. We're tangling. That was a $20,000 and a black eye mistake. Yeah, and and really, if it would have happened, to be honest with you, with the cars that were on the lead lap, um, if, if it wasn't on a restart where the whole field was stacked together, Pollard probably spins and doesn't get hit. You're probably right. Yeah. And so what's he do? He goes back to tail the lead lap, and he probably drives back up there in 30 laps. Yeah. I mean, he was that fast. You're probably right. Uh, Ty, Ty Majeski was not that great. Jeremy Doss was not that great. They were in the right place at the right time for the last 25 laps or so, and because Casey Roderick just drove away from him. But, uh, no, I mean, it just happened at the wrong time where when Bubba goes around, the whole field's coming at him, and he got hit by about six cars. Yeah, he really did. You know, he was he was the pinball, and, and I think that's what made him made him mad. Final answer, I think don't be surprised if over the course of 2023 you see more people with scratches on their face and uh, timeouts in their future. I, I, I think I think that's where we're at. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it's just going to be open season. They're gonna no. There's going to be rules, and there's you know like there's going to be consequences. Let's yeah. just say that. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's move on. Schedule releases, a lot of them released over the weekend. Kind of everybody that hadn't done it did it over the weekend. And I want to uh, point out one of my favorite events as a race car driver. Uh, never really went as a fan, but it was always a lot of fun when we had race cars. And that was uh, Mid-Michigan Raceway Park. They've released their 2023 event schedule, their season opener coming up on May 5th. They'll do test and tunes pretty much all of April, the 16th, 23rd, and 30th. And then they'll race through September, and of course, uh, they've got great specials all throughout the season, but I'm marking my calendar, Rich, for September 24th, uh, excuse me, September 21st through the 24th for the 25th annual corn harvest, registration and hot laps on Thursday, heats and Friday night specials on Friday, and then A and B features Saturday, uh, Sunday will be the rain date as well, and then of course, they've got the great big party, the corn, uh, corn roast and dinner that they have out there as well. Um, it's a lot of fun. If you have a dirt car and you've never made the trip, go. Uh, just the party in itself is worth the price of your wristband for the weekend, so that one's a lot of fun. Other things that we need to tidy up. First and foremost, Home Pro Racing. Talked with Shannon Eifert over the weekend, the owner of Home Pro Racing. He said, hey, can you help me clear something up? We said last week on the show that Home Pro Racing had won GLSS championships in the past and had won GLSS races in the past. I need to clarify. Home Pro Racing is brand new. For 2023, uh, Shannon owns all of this equipment. 
in the past, Home Pro Roofing had sponsored drivers like Max Stambaugh and Danny Sams and things of that nature. So Home Pro Racing is its own entity here now in 2023 with Ryan Rule, with uh, Blake, and with uh, Cole Macedo. They're their own thing. Danny Sams is now with Rocky Anderson, uh, Rocky Randerson Racing, and they're doing their own thing with some sometimes support from Home Pro Racing. So there's where that is. Two separate entities. Home Pro Racing is brand new. Other thing that just came across the wire, talking about drivers who are from Florida that race up in Michigan all the time, Connor Morrell and the uh, driver, the number 28M, is now going to be competing full-time in the Tezos All-Star Circuit of Champions and the High Limit Sprint Car Series for the 2023 season. This just released a half hour before recording. Mark Daly Racing. Connor will be joining them as an up-and-coming gritty driver. Uh, they are going to get together for for these uh, races. So don't look for much of Connor Morrell back up in Michigan now as he gets together with Mark Daly Racing, and uh, they're going to be committed to the Tezos All-Star Circuit of Champions. You'll see him at least twice, once at Butler and once at Tri-City here in the summer. lot of news <laughs> going on all of a sudden here on the show. Silly season doesn't know when to end. Man, oh, man, you aren't kidding. Um I don't even know where we're at in the show. Uh, so let me tell you about uh, our friends at MI Service Solutions. They'll keep you knowing where you're at in the show on the racetrack, right? Whether it's race sievers, light sievers, or transponders. They've got them all. And did you know, check this out. Listen, kids, listen close. Don't scrub forward. Race sievers and transponders are at a set price. You go anywhere to buy them from anybody, you're going to pay the same amount of money. That's just a company policy through those companies. Unless you use MI Service Solutions and the code HPH10 at checkout. So go to MIServiceSolutions.com, get your new race receiver so that you're ready for the season. Use HPH10 at checkout, and you'll get 10% off of that order. You're never going to get that equipment anywhere cheaper than right now through MI Service Solutions. And by the way, if you have an old race receiver that doesn't work anymore, you have an old transponder that doesn't charge fully, Justin wants it. Turn that thing in. He'll give you cash money for it. Uh, so there you go, miservicesolutions.com for more information or find MI Service Solutions on Facebook. All right, Rich, now it's time to uh, get into a segment of our program that has been really fun to dive into over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we thank Sweet Manufacturing for being able to do that as we celebrate hashtag Michigan Motorsports History Month. This week, it's our pleasure to bring in a 2010 inductee into the Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame. He calls Hillsdale, Michigan home. That's right, right down from my neck of the woods. It's our pleasure to welcome in Jim Slade. Jim, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Glad to be here. Jim, uh, 2010 inductee into the Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame. I know this. A lot of people around Butler know this. Some people don't. Um, the Slade family and auto racing, they go hand-in-hand hand like milk and cereal. Um, in fact, you know, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame 10 years after some guy named Dick Slade, who I think is pretty important to you. Um, just tell me a little bit about the Slade family and, and give me a little bit of background about how your family has been involved in motorsports and how eventually it got you involved as well. All right. Well, it, it started with my, my father, Dick Slade, that you mentioned. Um, he was quite a bit younger. It was somewhere around 1950, I believe, but I'm not exactly sure on the year, but him and his brother decided that they should get a race car. And I don't know that they even knew who was going to drive it exactly at the time, but they got an old car and put it together, did whatever you did back then. I don't think it was a lot. I think it was 
maybe knock out the glass and put in a seat belt or something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, and, uh, and uh, they started racing, and I and I think that my dad's brother tried driving it one night and decided he'd rather have my dad. I don't know exactly how that went. I never really felt like I knew that story exactly, but at, at any rate, my dad started driving. So that's where it all started. I and mean, they, they didn't have any background in racing or know anything about it. They just decided that was something they wanted to try, you know. And well, your dad ended up I, being, being pretty darn good at it. So we, when you come along, was it, was it pretty well established that you were going to continue what had become a, a family thing and, and that you were going to race? Or how did you, I mean, we have it here that you kind of got into it according to your bio back in 69. How did that come to be? Was that a given or, or did it take some doing? Well, it, I always thought I would as soon as I was able. Uh, I mean, I grew up, you know, helping dad work on the car all the time and I was building engines for him when I was like 14 years old and helping on the car. And I couldn't go in the pits back then. They had more regulations than they do now. Uh, so I have, I'd work on the car all week and have to sit in the grandstands and watch the races. And of course, I was up there telling him everything that he was doing wrong and he couldn't hear me yelling. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> And he didn't do a lot wrong. He was, he was very good at it. Uh, I got to ask was, you, Jim, I got to ask you though, um, you know, I, in my research, you made a lot of uh, your hay, let's say, uh, in the modifieds, and I saw some pictures of your modifieds back then, and they really don't look anything like what anybody would consider a modified today. Kind of explain the chassis and the bodies that you guys used back then. Well, it it uh, they were called Butler modifieds, I guess, and it. I don't know where the set of rules came from, but Butler had their own set of rules, you know, so you had to have a certain width and length and weight and different things like that. And so we had to build cars that fit the regulation. Uh, there was all kinds of different body styles back in the earlier days. My first car was just, a, I did have a couple of, uh, I think they were pieces off from some kind of a tractor that made the rear quarter <laughs> panels and other than that, everything was just, <laughs> flat metal so you guys just had a basic set of rules you know today it's bumper to bumper everything is um you know listed out what you can do what you can't do they gave you guys this this and this and go at it yeah i mean there was it was the idea was to keep it you know cost efficient and fair and it did back then i mean everything was almost homemade then you know nowadays most racers buy their cars and buy their parts and as far back as when I started, I, if there was any place to buy a car, I didn't know about it. So we just, you know, went to the junkyard and got pieces and parts. And of course, I was lucky growing up around it. So by the time I was old enough to build one, I had spent enough time. I had a good idea of what I wanted to do. And, and, I, and obviously, over 100 wins, you had to really feel comfortable uh, in your in your modified over the years. That uh you had to feel real comfortable driving that type of car. Yeah. Yep. I sure did. Of course we refined it. it. My first car wasn't fast. Like, like the one that I did most of the winning with, I won a few races with, but there was back then they ran modifieds only. And there was, uh, Oh, they had, there was, they had a rule for a while. You had to make the top 66 qualifiers or you didn't get to race. Wow. Cause they had too many cars. 
And and, and that kind of leads me to that, I thought he just said sixty six. Well, and that that was going to lead me to my question is when you look at the modified and you look at the the, the modified division back then, as you kind of alluded to. There were a lot of different body styles. I mean, there was a lot going on. You know, some of them had top wings. Some of them had, you know, the the the, the fender that kind of half covered the wheel like what we know today. Some of them had no fender. I mean, what what in the world was the breakdown there? Well, a lot of it was, was where you came from. You know, I was in the straight modified stuff because it's what I grew up with. But as the rules progressed, they allowed basically you could almost like take a late model chassis and just take the front fenders off, you know. So a lot of the guys ran a style, that style of car because that's what they knew and were familiar with. We were more familiar with the upright. And the one I, that I did most of the winning in is was really copied somewhat after a sprint car chassis. And, and that was going to be my thing, was if, for those who don't know, the division really looks like what I would say a vintage modified looks like today, that you could go and watch a vintage modified race that's what one version looks like. Now, the stand-up modified, really, Jim, I don't know what the difference would have been back in a, in the 80s and 90s between a stand-up modified and a sprint car uh, because they look so similar. What were the differences? Well, I don't know what the sprint cars weighed back then, but we had, a, we had to weigh 2,500 pounds, and I think the sprint cars were considerably lighter than that. And most of the sprint cars ran... Uh, fuel injection where we had to run a carburetor so and we had to be self-starting and self-driving where sprint cars get pushed by push trucks now you did run so both had, is that right did you you because you ran sprint cars for a time as well i did i drove for a good guy named art braithwaite from jackson uh, i drove his car for a couple seasons and that was a really fun time helping him work on it and see what i could learn and try to compete. We, we won one feature at Oakshade Raceway uh, and competed reasonably well. And we were kind of running on a budget, which has always been my, what I grew up with and been our forte is build all your own stuff and do all your own work. And so. Jim, it's got to be—it's got to be pretty special to you, you know. You know, after after your dad was uh, inducted into the Motor Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame, I'm sure early in your career that was probably the last thing on your mind. You're just out there having fun racing and trying to win races. But then when you get that honor, um, that's got, that had to be real special for you and your family. Yeah, it's it's a very big highlight at this point. I mean, when we were racing back in the day, I, I don't I don't think I even knew there was such a thing. You know, I don't know when that even started, but uh, uh, you know, then Dad got inducted, which was a really big deal, and and I was lucky enough to follow him in. And of course, I've got other brothers that raced, and they did really well too. They aren't in there yet, but maybe that will happen one day. I don't know. Our yeah. group, I feel almost like we should be in there as a family group with everything we've done man the Slade family again as I am open when you come down here you know I talked to Jerry I used to talk to Jerry quite a bit that's one of your brothers um you know I talked to Justin Slade who I think is one of your nephews uh Christy now Plemons I talked to her all the time one of your nieces by the way she wanted me to ask you who your favorite niece was uh when we had you on the show tonight so <laughs> i'll have to think about that and let you know here in a minute yeah exactly but and, and then you know of course uh you know slate shocks and technologies that's been a big thing i mean your family really the the entire family uh you know it is 
immersed in this sport, uh, really from head to toe it feels like now, all just kind of going back to your dad and uh, your uncle deciding, hey, let's get a, let's go get a race car and see if we can do this thing. Right, and I, I think back now, I never thought about it when I was younger, but, it, you know, I don't, I don't know if, like, if I was just a guy that had never been involved, would I have gotten into it and done that? I grew up with it, so it was almost natural for me to start doing it, but it was quite a bit for them to start from scratch and know nothing about it and just decide to go do it. Jim, I have to ask you just because I read about it and, and, and I, I don't think you get the full story when you just, just read a paragraph. Talk to me about 1985 when your career could have easily been over and, and we wouldn't be sitting here talking today um, about that night where, where it almost ended for you. Well, we had a few different rough nights. I'm assuming maybe you're talking about when my uh, transmission shaft exploded yep. on me. That, that yep. one right it, there, yeah. <laughs> it uh, cut my leg very badly and didn't break the bone, luckily, but it tore out all the meat down to the bone. You could actually see the bone. Wow. Uh, and I was off the rest of the summer because he, letting that try to heal up. It's still ugly looking, but it's. I'm, it doesn't bother me much. It swells up a little bit time to time, but there were, there were pieces of flying through the car that we had a good thick steel top on the car and it had holes in it that looked like bullet holes. No kidding. From tra the shrapnel that, you know, flew out of there, but luckily none of that caught me in the chin. <laughs> had you ever had a mechanical failure of that nature before? Had you ever, I mean, really that's a, oh. that's a serious injury in a race car. Do you ever had anything like that prior to that? Nothing, nothing close to that. I had lost a tooth once uh, when we had a we back in the day we didn't have shoulder straps. We had a chest strap. Yeah. And I got in a sudden stop crash where I the chest strap bracket broke off. It wasn't designed very well wow. by me. <laughs> I found figured out later, and so I kind of ate the steering wheel and broke a tooth off. But that was that was about the worst. I I've had other. I flipped at Oakshade once and had a elbow with a bolt stuck in it. And so I couldn't, oh. didn't have any feeling in my one arm. Now, now it says was, here, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was pretty ugly looking after that one. That was, that <laughs> happened on a Friday night at Oakshade. And we spent all day working on the car. We, we barrel rolled it probably, I'm guessing 10 times. I don't have any video proof or anything, but that's kind of what everybody said they thought happened anyway and uh we uh got the car back together good enough to go to butler the next night i was i shouldn't have been driving i don't think knowing what i know now but back then it just was we got to get the car back to the track and so we raced that night and then uh again on sunday night the sunday night show was at Bryan, ohio yeah uh and they had a kids' night where we would go over and park on the front stretch, and the kids would all come down and get autographs and things. And none of them would come over near me because my the white part of my eyes was bright red. Oh no! All the blood vessels uh, breaking in it, and I was the strangest looking creature. <laughs> what, uh, so the we, kids were like scared to come and get my autograph. We hear these stories from days gone by all the time, and and commonly what is said after that is drivers back then were a different breed. And I don't know if that's true, Jim, or if it's uh, that we know a lot more now than we did then. I mean, safety's come so far, and, and things have changed so much. Um, 
I mean, obviously, today's race car drivers, today's sprint car drivers, they'll flip in the heat race and unload the backup car and race in the feature, but they're not injured to the extent that you were. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's just knowing more now than we did then, or are race car drivers yeah, a little I bit think, of a different I breed? I think that's really a big part of it. You know, it's over the years they've learned all this stuff, and the safety's improved so much that uh, it's just taken so much more seriously now. I mean, I, I everybody knew it was dangerous back then, but they certainly didn't know maybe some of the things to look for when there were problems. And, and Jim, I got, I'll tell you the, the other part of that story, which I, I, when I read it, I had a smile on my face and I was astonished uh, that that year that you damaged your leg pretty bad and you couldn't get back in the race car. It took to the last night for somebody to pass you for the championship because you had won every single race up until that point of the season that, uh, I mean, if, if somebody has a bad night, you miss half the season and you still would have won the championship. Yeah, that, that was, that was true. That's the way I remember it is I had won the, that was the first race that I didn't win, whether heat race or feature or whatever. Uh, when the night the car broke, when I got hurt and it was the last night of the year when I got passed for the championship wow. and I got second. So, by the way, according to these stats that we have, uh, nine-time Butler Motor Speedway track champion, three-time Bryan Speedway track champion, and a cha- track championship down at Oakshade as well. Um, I want to talk to you about Brian because my dad often, he had a chance to do this, and he would often talk about that sweet spot in kind of the tri-state area where you could run three nights a week uh, with your race car. Friday at Oakshade, as you mentioned, Saturday at Butler, and Sunday at Brian. What was that time like where you could do that? And, and was it a lot of fun? Was it a lot of stress? I mean, so much uh, so much today is different at every racetrack that you go to that it's sometimes it's hard to do that. Um, but three nights in one week, wow, what a, what an accomplishment. Yeah, and we were, you know, we, we still worked our jobs. And so, you know, we, we had to have the car ready Friday night. And then hopefully you didn't damage it too much on Saturday, Friday so that you could get it ready again Saturday and there again Sunday. Yeah. When we first started doing that, we were at Manchester Speedway on Friday nights. That's where I started racing. Okay. And then later on was when we would run Oakshade part of the time. Butler, Manchester, Crystal, Winston, Oakshade, and Bryan are listed as uh, some of the tracks that you have uh, feature wins at. And, of course, uh, the stand-up modified, as we talked about. But there was one specific format that you became really well-known for. And you don't see a lot of races, doing late racetracks doing this anymore. And uh, I think they tried to bring it back last year. But talk to me about your infatuation with the dealer's choice format. Why were you so good at those? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, we We didn't go to them for several years when they started having them. We weren't sure how well we'd compete. And they finally talked us into trying it once. And uh, of course we fell in love with it. They had, they ran what they called an open modified class, which was, you could really do a lot of things. They did that to, because, because tracks had different rules. And so like our car up with a different set of rules from another track called it open modified and all the different people could run and guys would run their take their fenders off glass on the side of their cars all kinds of different things like that so it was very interesting a mix of people from all different classes and tracks and we were really fortunate to do well there crystal was a track that i really fell in love with when we first went there and i found it pretty well and 
So we had a lot of fun there. I got to ask you uh, about a snot-nosed little kid uh, who come wandering down to what he called Race Car Alley, uh, ride his bike to your race shop, six or seven years old, sit there, wait for you and, and Jerry to get the garage open, start working on race cars, be underfoot, just be watching and in the way. And uh, that little snot-nosed kid is now known as the Silver Fox, Corey Bevard. Talk to me about that guy. Yeah, I enjoyed watching him race. I've kind of got back into going to the races the last couple of years, and I've really enjoyed watching Corey. But uh, that happened with a lot of different racers, and, you know, you didn't realize it. But uh, I've got a picture. I don't think I have any pictures of Corey when he was little hanging around. I haven't found any anyway. But uh, I did, looking through some old stuff on my dad's, I found a picture of Rusty Schlink who is a real good late model racer. Yeah, uh, he's he's actually he, uh, he's actually going to be joining us here in about 5 minutes on the show as a matter of fact. <laughs> he uh, used to he used to come to Butler as a young guy and I've got a picture in Victory Lane with him standing by the car when he's I'm guessing he's 8 or 10 years old or something like that. How about that? Uh, we're we're going to have to bring we that up. We are going to bring that up. What do you think <laughs> what do you I mean what are your thoughts so right obviously you know the the I'm going to say the bulk of your career has passed and I say bulk and I'll get back to that. Um I mean, I guess what are kind of the emotions, right? You've done your time. You're in the Michigan Board Sports Hall of Fame. You still tinker and you still play. And I understand you're, you know, as you mentioned, kind of getting back to the racetrack more and more. But give me, take me inside of Jim Slade's heart a little bit when you look at the Corey Bevards and the Rusty Schlanks and maybe even, you know, the Tim Wilbers who were running around, not those little kids when you guys were having all your success. And now they are the successful race car drivers that everybody's watching. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, from afar, like where I'm at now. And it's it's really interesting and enjoyable. It's fun to go watch those guys and see how well they do. Now, I got to ask you, uh, because a couple of years ago, I understand that there was a, a manhunt that went on for a race car. Uh, this this stand-up modified that we've been talking about this entire show Um Am I correct in understanding that you guys found or had an opportunity to find the original car that you had won so many races with and were able to restore it? Yeah, we really haven't done a ton of work on it, but we did buy it back a couple of years ago and uh, we got to kick an idea around a little bit and decided, you know, we ought to try to find that. I had, I had heard it was for sale down in Indiana and uh, believe it or not, about three or four days later, I'm flipping through Facebook and I see a picture of it marked for sale <laughs> on, on Facebook. Wow. And uh, a, a young guy named Chad Delagrange had it, who was, he was kind of a, he raced a lot and did well, but he was a fan of ours growing up and he had actually bought it with plans to restore it himself. As a Slade car or just uh, as a stand up modified? No, he was going to restore it back to where, how it was when I had it, and he was he was going to have me drive it at the vintage shows. Oh, man, cool. Well, then he ran out of time and money because he's got garage fulls of projects like that. We, we could, You could really do a story on, on him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, So we bought it back from him and did enough work to get it back on the track. We actually ran it last year at Butler's vintage show. Yeah. I was going to bring that up uh, uh, in a little bit, yeah. But uh, uh, what are the odds of that, though? I mean, this this is this is technology that's forty five, 
50 years old, uh, I mean, that, I mean, no offense, Jim, that car should have been cut up and turned into a tin can a long time ago. Uh, the odds of you finding that thing are pretty small. Yeah, I was really surprised that we not only found it, but that it, you'd, you'd assume, well, maybe it's been crashed eight times and re-welded and it won't even look like the same car, but it's, it's almost completely intact. It's got a couple of little things I'd like to put back the way it was, but very little, really. It was 85% intact from the way we had it when we had it last. Jim, I have to tell you, it's, it's an honor, man, to talk to you, to, to be able to spend, you know, we, Zach and I love bench racing, especially with the people that were the roots of our sport many years ago. Um, so I got to thank you for that. Uh, kind of tell us if you can remember, give, give us some of the guys that made this all possible for you over the years, because obviously you didn't get into the Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame uh, just by yourself. Well, that's true, but it would be, it would mostly be my dad. Um, we, we, we had a few small sponsors over the years, but we basically built all our own stuff, did all our own work. So if I was going to give anybody any credit, it would be my dad. He taught me to work hard and, you know, if it broke, you fixed it. And we did really well. We did have a sponsorship from Rick Spieth, H&R Tires in Hillsdale. He used to race also, but he, he helped us with some sponsorship and a few other very small ones. But it was basically a run on our own, and, and we kept everything on a budget as best we could. i got to ask you, how many times in your career did you go wheel-to-wheel with uh, another Michigan Motorsports Hall of Famer, Hurry and Hank Lauer? How many times did you have to run against that guy in your career? Oh, I would – it would be tricky to say. We, we grew up uh, – running what they called the, what's now called the B main was called the semi back then. Yeah. Uh, we both, we were both in that together racing when we got into it early on, we competitive, but it was, it was in the semi feature, which is sort of this cars back then they ran the top cars in the X 20 were in the semi and the consolation. So you didn't move up from race to race like they do now. It just kind of split you into the almost A, B, and C. Now, the reason I bring you the – go ahead. It was all based on qualifying time back then. Yeah. And, you you know, they, they took the top 20 qualifiers. They had a rule where you could only run a half a second faster than you qualified. Okay. So like a breakout mm-hmm. rule. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, the reason I bring that up, Jim, is because you brought up that old-timers night that you uh, brought that stand-up modified to. I took my dad to that show, and you were there, and Hurry and Hank Lauer was there. And a lot of times, you know, I'm going to be brass here. The old-timers night, they bring you out onto the racetrack, and the cars go around in circles, and it kind of takes people back, and it's kind of cool. But it's not really anything that the race fan is going to get worked up about. And I thought that that's what I was going to see last year when I went to Butler, but I was wrong. You and Hurry and Hank Lauer were instantly transported back to 1980-whenever, and you guys put on a whale of a show at uh, at Butler last year. You two, um, man, I, at one point I thought you guys were going to wreck <laughs> because you guys were going after it. Now, I think you had some mechanical problems uh, during the race, but, man, you guys were side-by-side. Side. You were bumper-to-bumper, and... Um, 
I don't know how much of that you guys put on as a show, but I know you know that Hank just officially retired from regular racing a couple about ten years ago. It's been now, and um, you know, seeing that, I know my dad lit up, and I know a lot of fans enjoyed that. How much fun was that for you behind the wheel? Oh, that was great. That was my first time, of course, back in the car. We we stopped racing in, in the dealer's choice in 1999. So I hadn't been in a car for 22 or whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, and we got the old car out. And it just after a lap or two, it felt like old times to me, just like another Saturday night, you know. And I always enjoyed running really hard in the in the corners to make up time in case I wasn't the fastest guy in the straightaway. And the car was handling well, and I really enjoyed that. Wow. That was the first time you'd been on the track in 23 years was last year? Yes. Uh, I mean, aside from the obvious, the inside walls missing and the towers moved and things like that, how different was it? I didn't. The track didn't seem all that much different. Uh, The majority of my career, Butler was an oiled clay track. I I wondered if you would bring that up. (laughs) I wondered. Instead of watered. Yeah. And so it was a much more consistent surface. Uh, it was it was fast, but it was quite consistent. Mm-hmm. So once you kind of had your car figured out, you didn't have to do a lot of changing and adjusting. The guys nowadays have to do a lot more, I think, because you get more varying conditions when when they dry out. The oil didn't really dry out a whole lot. Yeah, man. If anybody's listening from the EPA, let's just remind <laughs> that that was days gone by. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's, yeah, that's long, long time ago. That's not a problem anymore. <laughs> We've had so much fun talking with Jim. I forgot to do this uh, because without our friends at uh, Sweet Manufacturing, we wouldn't be able to celebrate Michigan Motorsports History Month. Michigan-owned and operated Sweet Manufacturing offers the best technology for the racer in almost every department on the car. Check out their new ultra-lightweight quick-release coupler. And for you dirt track drivers, keep the mud and dirt and apparently oil out of your rack with a new boot. They've got great technology now to keep that rack uh, intact and for a, a great long time only at Sweet Manufacturing. Check them out online, sweetmanufacturing.com, or call 1-800-441-8619. We've got Rusty Schlank waiting in the wings, but before we let you go, Jim, uh, what are the plans now? You've got that stand-up modified back in action. Uh, we saw it last year. Uh, Corey kind of said that he thought that he, you were getting a little bit more of the bug and the itch to be around racing. You said you want to be around it a little bit more. What's your plan? How do you get reinvolved in this sport that has been so good to you over the years? Well, if, if anything like that happens, it'll be with, I've got a grandson that's 15 now and is becoming interested. So it'll probably be doing something with him. We've talked about it a little bit. Haven't got too far with anything yet. But. Such a legend in the modifieds, stand-up modifieds. Any chance we see you get behind somebody's uh, dirt car UMP, late, uh, UMP modified at any time? Oh, I really doubt it, but... I, I guess I couldn't say it's not possible. You know, hot laps are free. Well, hot, hot laps are free, had, Jim. I, All you got to do is bring your gear bag. <laughs> I've, I've had offers, so for, so oh, <laughs> after man. getting in my own and realizing I can still do it pretty well, it might change my mind. Well, hopefully, I would love to see it happen. I know there's a lot of people out there would love to see it happen too. So, uh, Jim, 2000, Jim Slade, 2010 Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame inductee. Thank you for giving us some time. It's been a, a pleasure for me uh, as somebody who's been around Butler for my entire life to uh, look back at this. I know that my dad is excited to hear from you. He's a huge Jim Slade fan, and uh, I know there's a lot of fans of yours out there who are looking forward to listening to this tonight. So thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. Glad to do it. Thank you. Well, Zach and Dennis Herb Jr. and Brian Shirley grabbed toilet bowl wins over the weekend, but uh, 
Rusty Schlenk kind of had a little bit of a wilder weekend. And you know what? what when we saw that, we had to bring him back on. We hadn't had, had him uh, on in a while. Uh, makes his home in McClure, Ohio, of course. Rusty Schlenk, welcome back to Horsepower Happenings. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully you guys bring me some luck. <laughs> well, we, usually we do, right? But uh, let's before we get into the, your excitement this weekend, what you been up to, man? You getting the kids' car ready, getting your stuff all ready? I mean, that this is just, what, the beginning of the season for you, right? <laughs> no, shoot, I'm already, I think, uh, 11 or 12 races into the season. Uh, unfortunately, here we've, uh, <laughs> I've had to rebuild my car about three times, so I, I'm not getting my car ready. I keep re-getting my car ready, but um, no, the kids' car still needs a bunch of work. I've just been trying to get caught up on all the customer stuff and, uh, it's crunch time. You know how it goes. Everybody watches the Daytona 500 and it reminds them that they got a car sitting out in the garage that they need to get ready in the month. So how, how hard was that? Cause usually we don't have to talk about this. Um, you had a rough wild west shootout that week. Um, if it wasn't one thing, it was another, I, I think you probably could have rebuilt three race cars with everything you guys went through that week. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that was probably one of the most miserable weeks I've had to race in, in my career. Um, if it if it could have went wrong, it went wrong, man. We broke a rear end, we broke a motor, we broke two dry or two uh, transmissions. Um, yeah, that, I mean that's just the big stuff. Then we had all the little stuff go wrong. Also, we uh, ripped the ripped the <laughs> ripped the quarter panel off the truck. You know, it was, oh, it was a mess. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we didn't even talk about all the stuff, all the problems you had just trying to get out there. I mean, my goodness, um, it has been a tough start. But you know what? perseverance is a big thing you don't become a, a three-time dirt car champion without that um you keep your eyes forward how hard has that been over these last couple of months i mean a trip to east bay that didn't go as good as you'd liked it to as rich mentioned vado wasn't as good to you as you'd hope toilet bowl did not go your way this weekend um are you are you looking forward to some more you know regional races getting closer to home kind of getting back in that groove man really i am and that's kind of i mean it's kind of been my whole thing this this whole year we I built a brand new race car, um, a bunch of stuff I've been wanting to try. We built it at the end of last year, uh, right at the end of the season. Um, we went down and ran it at Southern Raceway, um, had crappy luck down there with it. And then we took it to the dome and the dome was the second race on it. And we had a really good dome, uh, experience. I mean, that was pretty good. We made the show and started and started towards the back, made it up to the front, broke a right rear shock. We just had some crappy luck there too, but the car was really good. Um, and then we went out to Vado and had some engine problems and the car just didn't run right all week. And I mean, it's just, it's been a struggle. And like, I haven't, I haven't had this race car at a local event yet. It's, it's been all huge races, uh, with, with huge car counts and, and, and really good competitions. So, uh, when you go to races like that, man, you really gotta, you can't have bad luck. You've, you've gotta be on top of your game. You really gotta kind of have your, have your crap together. And I just haven't, <laughs> I haven't had time to rebound and get my crap together yet. So, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to getting home and, and, and getting some racing around here, some tracks that I can kind of be a little bit more relaxed at and, and get a better feel for this car. I just, uh, I don't feel like I've, I haven't had two nights in a row where I could uh, do any testing or get anything figured out yet. It's just, it's been terrible. Cause you don't want to give up on it yet, right? It's a brand new build. Uh, so you really don't have a lot to compare it to at, 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 at Vado East Bay and at the, at Clarksville, because those aren't places you go to on a regular basis. Right. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not disappointed with the race car at all. I've, uh, like I said, every time I've hit the racetrack, I've been trying different stuff. So I, I just haven't got a, I haven't had a chance to, to really get comfortable and, and, 
I'll throw a bunch of stuff at the car and, and, and try, uh, try a bunch of stuff that I've been, I, I got a whole notebook full of stuff that I've been wanting to test all winter. So we, we go to these races like Vado and East Bay and cause we can park at a track for a week and, and just kind of mark stuff off the notebook night after night after night that, that we learn. But the problem is we throw a bunch of stuff at it that I want to try. And then we go out there and the transmission breaks. So I don't have a, I didn't get a feel for it cause I made two laps or then I, I we try a bunch of other stuff and go out there and the motor breaks or the rear end breaks. Now, as he was explaining everything that breaks, he brought gremlins into our show, and we went haywire <laughs> right there and had to start over. Uh, so I, I don't know what's going on with you this year, man, but we got to get it cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's a new one, though. I've never broke the radio show before. Congratulations. But, uh, Rich, go ahead. You, you had asked something right <laughs> as that went haywire on us. Yeah, I, yeah, I said, uh, you know, we could all, all could have bet 500 bucks this week and not made a nickel. Um with Attica canceling this week, I don't think they've got a, their mid-March show in in three, four, five years, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of how it goes when you try to start racing in March in in, in Ohio or Michigan. It's that I got to I got to give them credit for trying to to get started early. I mean, I, we all want to go racing, but man, it's it's uh, I don't it just never happens. The weather's always too terrible around here until until April. So I don't know. I don't even know if we'll. They get next week's in uh, the following week. It's uh, the weather just don't look like it's going to make a turn. So you made the decision uh, to go to Clarksville. Uh, I think this is a race you've went to a couple times, if I remember correct, uh, correctly, with the toilet bowl. Is that right? Yeah, we we try to go down there as much as we can. Um, I like to start my year out down there. It's a uh, it's a nice little track. I, we I enjoy racing on it. I mean, it's kind of uh, it kind of reminds me of you know. I mean, it's 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 a it's a good track to go test at because it's kind of what we race around around home. It's a small, tight little slick racetrack. So um, I get some good testing usually when I go down there. Um, it's if I can keep all four tires on the ground, that is. Well, and so obviously that's where we're going with this. And we mentioned we mentioned Vado and that trip out west. You about put it on its lid out there. You were on the bike big time in uh, three and four out there, and then you end up on your lid here in Clarksville. Is that thing a little tip heavy, or what's what's going on with that thing? Is it just got a lot of side bite in it? Well, I don't even know what happened in Clarksville. So tell me what happened. Uh, no, I mean, it's not the race car. It's just, uh, just unfortunate luck. There's a, there's a big hole at Votto that everybody kept driving through. And, um, it was one of them, it was one of them holes that nobody, you couldn't really see it. Um, you kind of had to feel it and then guess where it was every lap and just hope you missed it. And well, you felt uh, there's it. a couple of us that hit that thing and, and, and about flipped out there. Uh, Ricky Weiss did it. I did. I mean, there's a couple of us that almost went over. I, I think I was, I got the worst end of it. I, I almost put it on his lid for sure. But yeah. no, at Clarksville, it was, uh, it was just circumstantial, uh, it was early in the race and it was a tight little quarter mile. So everybody's kind of fighting for position. It was one lane. I mean, it's hard to, uh, that, I shouldn't say it's one lane. It's, it's a really narrow track. It's hard. There's not a lot of room to race. So we're all kind of fighting for the same lane. And uh, the guys in front of me checked up and got sideways. So I turned sideways to keep from getting into their quarter panel and wrecking anybody. And when I turned sideways, the guy behind me didn't check up and got into my left rear and scooped me up and flipped me over. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a hard flip. Uh, I mean, it didn't really tear anything up suspension wise. So thank God it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. When I, now, when I saw that, I was just flipping through my phone, right? I wasn't looking for it. And I saw this picture, two pictures of your car upside down. And my first thought was who the hell posted these pictures upside down on a Facebook post. And then I had to stop and go back. Then I had to go back and stop and look at it and said, Nope, I guess it's not upside down. <laughs> and no it was uh that's how she landed now when i saw this i automa i automatically thought of a little bit of nascar history 
Uh, anybody re- remember the 1997 Daytona 500? Let me just to take you back to a highlight. Uh, a black number three car flipped down the back straightaway, and the driver of that car, Dale Earnhardt, got into the ambulance. And while he was in the ambulance, uh, the safety crew fired that race car up for one reason or another, and Dale Earnhardt then got out of the ambulance, got back into his race car, drove it around to pit road, and they put a bunch of bandages on it, and he went on to try to finish that race with a with a three car that had flipped over at Daytona. Very Dale Earnhardt-esque-like. The safety crew flips this 91 car back over. I don't even know if you pull the dipstick tube or not, but you put some oil in it, fire it back up, and go on and finish 13th in this race. Uh, to put it candidly, Rusty Schlenk, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> well, what I was thinking was kind of what I was talking about earlier. We drove nine hours to, to go do some testing, and um, we, we had started out the night terrible and found a bunch of problems with a bunch of parts that I designed when we went down there. I was having clearance issues with all sorts of stuff, so I didn't get the car where it needed to be until the feature. Um, and when we fired off, I felt like I had a really good race car, but I only got a couple laps to figure it out, so uh i mean it was really just about getting back in the car and if if everything i I checked it over everything looked good and it didn't look like there was uh, any mechanical issues so i I really just wanted to get some more laps i didn't i didn't honestly really plan on running the whole race i was just going to kind (laughs) of feel it out for a few laps and see how it went and if the thing was good i'd I'd stay out there and if not i was just going to pull it in but if the car was so good i said (laughs) screw it man we're just gonna stay out here and see uh see how it goes um but no, we. Uh, you can if you watch the video. Um, if you watch Clarksville's video, you can see me roll the car after we roll the car uh, away from. We get it flipped over, and I rolled it forward so I could kind of diagnose how much. Uh, you see me walk around to the back and look at the racetrack to to see how much oil we'd lost. So I just kind of took a visual, like, yeah, that looks like about three or four quarts. So I sent Dusty <laughs> back to the trailer to grab three or four quarts of oil. And <laughs> you're, uh, you're, we, you're, uh, you're banking a $15,000 engine on a visual and eh, maybe three or four quarts of oil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a lot of experience in the game. I've spilled a lot of oil in my day. I, I, I guarantee I was within half of a quart on my diagnosis. That's awesome. I promise. <laughs> so, so how, I mean, how was the car at post flip? Did it, did it perform all right? No, it was really good. Um, unfortunately, the the nose had been pushed down a little bit, and it was kind of dragging the racetrack. And um, I, it wasn't that big of an issue, but I, we had made it up to – I mean, I was driving through traffic really good, and you can actually see in the video that the leaders kind of caught me while I was stuck in traffic, and I got clear and took off. Like I, I feel like we had a car as, as good as the leaders were there. Um, I made it up to, like, uh, oh, I think it's 12th or 13th, and I was trying to get it underneath the guy on the inside, and – I hit the berm down on the inside and clipped the tire a little bit and it, it finished the bumper off. So from there for like the last 10 laps of the race, I was just holding on. I ended up getting lapped. I was just kind of holding on to my position. I wasn't sure. I knew I'd pass a lot of cars. I was kind of hoping I made it to the top 10. Wasn't really sure where I was at. So I was just trying to stay out there and, and get some points. Um, obviously that was our first UMP race of the year. So just trying to get some points and, and finish the race at that point. But um, if I wouldn't have done that, I think we could have drove it to a top five. Now I got I have to tell you, Rusty, coming up here on the, in just a few minutes, Zach has a surprise for you. So uh, that's just, that's what we call a teaser in our business. Yeah, okay, that's right. So, <laughs> so you're going to be on pins and needles for that. But I got to ask you, you know, you spent the last few years, um, you know, working real real close uh, with Colin, getting him up to speed in these UMP late models. How proud are you uh, with the progress that Carter is making? You got to be having a ball with that kid. Which one, Carter or Colin? You said Carter. both of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> either one, either one. Let's get a report trust, card. I was say, trust, trust me, I'm I'm more than proud of both of them. They're uh, 
we'll we'll start with Colin because he, he he started first. But um, no, he's uh, Colin's my stepson for the for the people that don't know. But he's uh, he's man. It, it, when he first jumped in it, uh, he surprised the crap out of me. And I mean, he was he kept he kept up pace right away. And um, he's just he's always been a, a heck of a little wheel man. And we decided to uh, we decided to get, to get him a big motor and put him put him in the late model class pretty pretty early in his career. And he he jumped right in and started running good and. I think what his third year, he I think it was his second full year. He ended up uh, he ended up beating me one night at Oakshade, and um, to to be able to do that, uh, Oakshade's my home track, and I I think I'm the I think I've got that place figured out more than most people. So to, for him to come in there and kick my butt at my home track, he uh, he's definitely surprised a lot of people. It's uh, I love watching that. I love watching what he can do and and how quick he grew and and became comfortable with. Uh, with these cars and it, it makes me feel real good too because we build them uh, not only not only do we uh do we build the cars but we all get to drive them too so that's uh that makes it feel even better when we can build them and then i can watch my kid put it in victory lane and then uh, carter obviously he's uh he's only 12 but that kid uh that kid is natural talent also he's he surprised the crap out of me i was i was so nervous though when uh when we put him in a, a full-size car because in his go-kart he was a wild man if, if there was somebody in front of him <laughs> Not that he was slow or a bad driver by any means, but if there was somebody in his way, he was going to Dale Earnhardt him right out of the way. So, um, I, <laughs> I was the I was the dad that was walking around apologizing to the other dads, usually when my kid was racing. So. <laughs> now, and, and he, and he, remi- he reminds me of a little fourth or fifth grade kid you're looking for on the playground, you know? He's so unassuming, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. But no, he uh, he was completely opposite. Also, what I thought what I thought was going to happen, he jumped in the jumped in that sportsman um, his very first night out and went out and won his heat race and ran I think sixth or seventh in the feature. And the second night out, he went and did the same thing, won his heat and finished fifth in the feature. And then come back the next year and won his uh, I think he won his his very first race of the year, won the heat and won the feature. So um, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely he's a little wheel man for sure. I look uh, I look forward to watching him race this year. That's awesome. Do you have plans for Carter to uh, move up, or is he going to spend some time in the Sportsman uh, for a little bit longer? No, this year for sure. I mean, I might move. I might move him up and let him run one or two races as a, in a late model here or there. Um, I'm not going to put a late model motor or anything in it. I don't. We don't have the budget for that. So he's going to be stuck in the Sportsman class, and I might throw some big tires on it. Let him get some practice here and there. He's got. Uh, he's got really good car control. So I don't. I'm not nervous about putting him in a, in a late model at all. I mean, I was in a, I was in a late model when I was 13 and, and had some pretty decent success in it. So I don't, I'm not scared to put him in it, I, but I, just budget wise, we're going to be, he's going to be stuck in the sportsman for a while until, until somebody can come along or he gets a, he gets a better job than dad has to be able to pay for two full late models. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned uh, Carter's age uh, at, at uh, we started him at 12. Is that right? Uh, yeah, his first, his first actual race, he was 12. He, he practiced a little bit. Um, or no, sorry. He was 11. 11. Okay. When we, uh, we, yeah, he was 11 in his first actual race. And then, uh, um, he turned 12 mid season last year. Now remind me, it wasn't a young rusty Schlank, 11 or 12 years old when he unloaded at Butler motor speedway with his street stock for the first uh, time. I was 11. Yep. Yeah. So the the nugget here, the little surprise. There you go. Here's the tease. Get ready, Russ. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. This is basically like a Butler Motor Speedway remembrance show tonight uh, because we just had <laughs> Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame member uh, Jim Slade on the program. And oh, nice. Jim name-dropped you, of all people, of uh, photos that he found 
of of young fans in Victory Lane, and he said that he just found a picture of you in Victory Lane with him uh, back in the Upright Modified days. What do you remember of those days going to Butler as a fan? <laughs> that's awesome. Um, no, he. <laughs> that's funny. I was I was so young back then. I barely remember any of that, honestly. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. But I. He said, uh, he said he th- the picture he has, he thinks you're seven or eight years old. Yeah. Yeah, probably, that would make sense. I I turned my first laps around there in a in a, in a modified when I was nine. Um, and actually, I, that's uh, he was one of the he was one of the only people that stuck up for me. Um, everybody was was complaining and didn't want me to race um, because I was so young. And he was he was one of the ones that came to the drivers' meeting and stuck up for me and said that they need to let me race. So I've always got along with the Slade family. I, there's uh, Dick. His dad has been a he was an awesome guy, man. He's been one of my fans forever. So yeah, this, uh, I've. I, I definitely was probably in a few victory lane photos with uh, with him back in the day. I'm sure him and Denny Donaldson and oh yeah, uh, that's Denny Donaldson. I don't know if you know that, but Denny's actually where I get my number from, my okay. 91 number. That makes sense. I'd never put that together. Wow, I can't believe I didn't put that together. That's pretty cool. Um, so what about what about your kids uh, now? I mean, are you did you have to go through that same sort of battle with with Carter to say you know, hey, this kid is capable. He's proven he can handle a race car. Let him in the show. Man, honestly, no. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's because I had to do all the hard work and pave my own path. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I think I did all the groundwork for him, um, which I'm glad. I'm glad he doesn't have to go through it, man. Cause I, I definitely dealt with a lot of, a lot of bull crap that I shouldn't have had to. Um, cause I felt like, I mean, I, I, I was never a menace and I never, you know I mean? I, I don't think I was out there causing problems or, or, or being, you know what I mean? I wasn't out of control or, or like I, I belonged out there. It wasn't, and the industry has really changed I... since then. The industry is really, I mean, it's nothing now for us to say, oh, there's there's a 12-year-old late model driver, there's a 14-year-old, you know, in victory lane. Right. You know, it really has changed in just those short 20, 30 years. It really has. It's, uh, man, it was it was kind of a big deal for me when I was, there wasn't a lot of young drivers back then. It was, I, I definitely dealt with a lot of crap, but I think, uh, um like you said, it's, it, it is a little different era now. I mean, there's a lot of younger, a lot of younger people out there, but I, I feel like I've gained enough respect with some people over the years that, uh, and, and I, I've, I've got enough knowledge to be able to help Carter's through the, through the learning stages. So hopefully he's not out there being a menace. You know what I mean? That's, I feel like I, I kind of paved the path to, to make it a little easier for him because I gained, I gained everybody's respect about his age the hard way. So now he's, he's got an easy path, hopefully. <laughs> Rusty, I got to ask you, man. Um, uh, this was a busy winter and big news uh, for dirt tracks around our area. Uh, we we start south of the border. You know, uh, Gas City is going to a part time schedule, pretty much specials only. Uh, new ownership at Thunderbird, Winston um, heard nothing. Uh, new ownership at Crystal. Uh, kind of talk about this winter and um, wow, just a, just a, a lot of big news in dirt track racing in our region. Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm a little bit nervous about it, man. It's uh, the the silly season's kind of got me scared because I don't. I feel like I don't think there's going to be too many UMP races uh, available for us this year. So I don't think you're going to see me in Michigan as much as as I have in the past. Unfortunately, um, sounds like even Black Mirror's cutting back on some stuff with with Merritt and Tri City, and obviously got rid of Thunderbirds. So I, I just don't. Uh, I don't see there being a a lot of good UMP races for us to go up there and race which kind of sucks because i'd uh i kind of made a home up there the last few years and um was uh it, it's nice to be able to race a little bit closer to home with you know what i mean around my fan base and stuff like that but i think we're going to be back to traveling again this year unfortunately because 
we don't uh, we're not going to have too many places to go. Well, it looks like he's still going to do the All-Star Performance Challenge Series for the UMP Late Models, and there's still going to be a $35,000 check up at a certain racetrack that you might be interested in. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll be to that one for sure. Um, well, uh, that's definitely one we've got on the on the map. But um, I mean, and I and I don't know for sure. I mean, maybe you can correct me here or tell me what's going on with it. But I heard that the the All Star stuff isn't even going to pay as much. I, I, isn't the purse getting dropped on that stuff too? Back to kind of a, a lower deal. Well, here's what I can tell you is that <clears throat> let me put my official hat on, Rusty. Horsepower Happenings, <laughs> Horsepower Happenings has reached out to Mac, Mike Blackmere about the purse for the All-Star Performance Late Model Challenge Series, and uh, that's where we stand. <laughs> so gotcha. uh, that's, that's, that's where we stand. Um, but regardless, I wanted to, uh, real quick, Chris Mapes, uh, you know Chris Mapes, uh, he's, a, he's a supporter of Horsepower Happenings, he's a supporter of what you do as well. Um, he, yeah. he would like you to keep the pink going the right direction for the rest of the season, just so you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust me, that's, that's definitely the plan. Uh, CNT Services, a supporter of Horsepower Happenings and, and uh, of Rusty as well. So I wanted to ask you, last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go, and, and Rich and I talked about this earlier in the show, this past weekend, uh, two great big races uh, were held. One, uh, well, actually a lot of races were held. One was a great big race with the ASA Stars National Tour getting their start at Five Flag Speedway, kind of bringing that back up. And then the other gained a lot of attention due to some post-race festivities that involved uh, G.R. Smith and Ashton Winger. I bring ASA Stars into this because Bubba Pollard and Casey Roderick were were at the center of attention. I'm obviously talking about post-race altercations. One of our discussions was if the climate of drivers just you know dusting things under the rug on the racetrack is starting to change are drivers getting tired finally of their stuff getting wrecked and are we back to if you wreck if you junk somebody on the racetrack you better be ready to defend your actions in the pits is there a change coming in our industry all of a sudden i sure hope there is (laughs) i I kind of figured you would actually (laughs) uh i really do feel like that's what it is i mean we've got we've got a lot of money wrapped up in these cars nowadays it's not like it used to be i mean we we're out there racing hundred thousand dollar race cars and and honestly uh the the mentality of the drivers has changed so much in the last few years where uh and i hate to say it um because i i love this guy to death and he's one of my good buddies and it He's never done me wrong by any way, shape, or form, but uh, Bobby Pierce is, is just kind of one that comes to mind where they, they just throw caution to the wind and they're, <laughs> they don't, they have no remorse when they stuff you in the wall. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's it, Bobby, I, I don't think Bobby ever does it intentional. Um, but I mean, people, it, it's just that the younger generation of drivers is, they've, they've grown up watching, watching dirty slide jobs and want just watching people run over each other and, and have no repercussions for it. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't mean anything wrong towards Bobby at all. He's a hell, he's a hell of a wheel man and, and, and a good friend of mine. I just, he's, he just, I, I bring him up because he's the one that has that bad rap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he, uh, it, it's, I really feel like it's something needs to happen. I, back when I grew up racing, I mean, I, I was kind of at the end of that era, but if you went out and ran somebody over on the track, you were getting punched in the face when you came back in. Like, that's yeah. just, <laughs> that's just how it was. I mean, the, the, the track officials, it, the, there's never any repercussions for going out there and crashing somebody. I mean, yeah, you you might get told on the race fever to quit driving like a fool, but the, nobody gets docked. Nobody gets banned for driving that way. I mean, you can go out there and wreck somebody five weeks in a row, and, and, and the track never does anything about it. So 
back in the day, you you did that. You got punched in the face. <laughs> That's uh, so, so is some is somebody going to make themselves an example? You think? Well, that's kind of what I wonder if that's what happened this weekend is that those are the examples. You know, Ashton Winger, great guy, pretty calm on the racetrack. He didn't retaliate on the racetrack. He had every opportunity to, 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 you know, retaliate to G.R. Smith, but he didn't. But it could get worse. UMP could set somebody down for the season, and that might be the end of it. I don't know if it would be or not. What do you think, Rusty? Right, and and don't get me wrong. If if something happens to me on the racetrack, and and that's the way I look at it. So the the tracks and – and promoters always have a, they have a completely different mindset than I do. Uh, if, if somebody runs me over on a racetrack, I'm not going to take my hundred thousand dollar race car and, and beat the crap out of their hundred thousand dollar race car because it's, it, what, what is that going to prove? You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it, most of these people with hundred thousand dollar race cars have the money to fix them anyway. So it's not, they don't care. I mean, I, I would much rather go back to the, to the pits and handle it like a man. Like, you know, <laughs> if, if you're going to, if you're going to disrespect me, we're going to fight about it. Uh, but uh, the, the track officials will tell you completely opposite. I've literally had track officials say, I don't care what you do to them on the racetrack. If you run into them out there and crash them, when you go back green, there's nothing we can do about it, which I just think is a terrible mindset to have. You know what I mean? It's just uh, we're, we're racing really expensive race cars that we uh, that most of us put our heart and soul in and, and, and every dime we have. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of racers nowadays that uh, just jump in these race cars that somebody else pays for and, and they don't work on them, and they couldn't. They couldn't even tell you how to fix them. They they go out there and destroy them, and run into people, and come back, come back in, and say, "Here, here you go, Dad, fix that for me." <laughs> but but Rusty, I guess just to take it a little step further, is it is this the byproduct also of the big dollars they're putting out at all these events? I mean, it's huge. It is. It is for sure. And that and like I said, that's the other thing is the, there's just there's no respect on the racetrack because everybody everybody just sees that dollar sign at the end of the day. Um, I mean, we're, we're racing for way more money than we ever have. And, uh, there's, there's way more race cars at the track than there ever was in the last few years. I shouldn't say ever was cause there used to be pretty good car counts, but, but some of these bigger shows are pulling 40, 50 cars. Um, I mean, let's shoot. Uh, when we were at Votto, we were, we were out there racing with, with 60 cars every night. East Bay had 60 some cars every night. I mean, it's there, there's room for 20 cars in the show and there's, there's 40 guys going home that don't want to be sitting there watching the features. So it, that's where. That's where people get ran over, and, and the respect goes out the window. All right. Might be seeing a uh, new realm of auto racing and, uh, in 2020. Not new. Uh, not new at all. Uh, newfound respect for auto racing and uh, the drivers out there. Uh, Rusty, appreciate you weighing in on that, man. Hey, uh, here is two. Where, when's your next race? When's your next scheduled race? What do you got? Well, we were, we were aiming for Attica this weekend, but they already canceled, so um, I'm not really sure. Um, I haven't even uh, haven't even looked at the schedule. I don't think I'm going to be running my car for a couple weeks. Obviously, I've got to I've got to do a complete teardown <laughs> and and go through it after flipping it at Clarksville. Um, but Tyler with Buckeye Concrete, my car owner there that I've drove for the last few years, he's gonna. I think I'm gonna race for him a little bit more than I did last year. Um, this upcoming year, so we're probably gonna. I'll probably be in his car the next time we race. I don't know if it'll be this weekend or the following weekend. I think we're gonna go out to uh, if we don't race this weekend, the following weekend I believe is the Thaw Brawl out at Davenport, Iowa. So yep. that'll probably be our next race as of now. All right. Well, here is to uh, the the sticky side staying down, the pink going in the right direction, the 91 staying a 91 and not a 16, and uh, all things going the way they need to for you, all right? I hope you're right, man. I hope this <laughs> changes my luck. While, while we're talking about that uh, that Chris Mapes thing, though, I got to – I definitely uh, – he, he is probably the smartest sponsor I've ever had in my life. He uh, – 
he didn't want to be on the side of the car a few years ago when he came to me and, and, and told me he wanted to help me out. He wanted to be on the back decking on the left corner of the back decking. That I don't think I've ever crunched his sticker. <laughs> that was the only panel on the car at Clarksville the other night that I didn't have to fix. There you go. <laughs> well, I, we got we got to tell you, Rusty. It was a funny thing. So a week after Gateway, he texts me and says, uh, "Because on our show, the week after Gateway, Zach and I talked about we have to get to Gateway. We want to go out there and, and cover it, it like we do." a lot of the other races that you go to, right? Yeah. And, of course, we and, talked to a Domination and, Race Cars driver, uh, Cody Bauer. Yep, yep, absolutely. And he <laughs> says, how many rooms you guys need? They're on me for Gateway next year. That's the kind of guy he is. So he, so we, yeah. Zach and I will be at Gateway on behalf of CNT Services in 2023. And, and hopefully oh, awesome. we'll be there to awesome. see you parking in Victory Lane. That'd be pretty cool. Well, I, I hope so. That, that place owes me one now. It owes me about three, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rusty, we got to move on, man. Congratulations uh, on getting uh, things going in the right direction. I'm going to say it now because it's going to happen. So we're going to we're going to talk it into <laughs> fruition. So, hey, man, appreciate you always making time for us. It's it's greatly appreciated. Oh, not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Want to give a big shout out to Be Cool Radiators by way of CNT Services. Of course, our friend uh, Chris Mapes with CNT Services said, "We want to sponsor you, but I want to do it as a give back program." Uh, and so he chose Be Cool Radiators for the first quarter of the month as the studio sponsor for Horsepower Happenings. Be Cool is the leader in power cooling systems from uh, products that are original equipment, factory fit, LS swaps, drag racing, circle track, rock crawlers, whatever you got. Be Cool can help keep that engine performing at the optimum temperature. Right here in Essexville, Michigan, find them online, BeCool.com, or give them a call, 1-800-691-2667. All right, that is going to do it. What a show. <laughs> I haven't seen an hour podcast out of us in a minute. <laughs> We, we need to we need to have the boss adjust it officially to an hour and a, to a ninety minute podcast. I think so because we're not coming close no, anymore. No, no, there's just not so much. We don't have the we don't have the ability. <laughs> there's so much awesome stuff. And rich, rich, it's March. <laughs> yeah. we, we haven't even got into race season yet. I know. Uh, huge thank you to Jim Slade. Um, I think we're going to do something for you as well, Rich. Like I, you know, for me, Butler is my heritage. That's the track that I call home. I love hearing more about that history. Um, you've got somebody in mind, I think, that we want to bring on the show for uh, your your side of that. I do. I think, and I haven't talked to him yet, um, but I, I think the one the one that uh, that comes to my nature, just because we can have him on the show. If 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 it was just about doing a story and talking about him, it would be hands down Joy Fair. I think um, with with all the wins he had. But uh, you know, you go back in the day. And this is a different type of racing. He, you know, he made his day figure eight racing. Bob Stute is a is a Hall of Famer, um, hundred career wins through multiple divisions, uh, raced at Mount Clemens, Flat Rock, Toledo, uh, you know, all over the place. I want to get a hold of Bob. I'm sure he'll come on. Uh, great interview, Michigan Motorsports Hall of Famer, um, you know, based out of Flat Rock. So yeah, yep. You got your Butler guy. I'm going to get my Flat Rock guy. I just got to reach out to Bob and get him on the program. Let's take a look at some upcoming races uh, on the upcoming calendar. And uh, they're getting closer, Rich. These two events always remind me that they're getting close. Um, and that is the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. They will be in action this weekend in Ohio and Indiana. Guess what? Those states 
are right to our south. <laughs> so you got to go all the way to the south of them to find the place, but they're there. Uh, Atomic it doesn't snow or rain anymore. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Atomic Speedway, March 17th, will host the Lucas Oil Late Mile Dirt Series. At least that's the plan. Atomic had some testing last week. The track was a little soft. Uh, the frost still kind of coming out of the ground, but they think they're going to be good to go. And then that always pairs up nicely with Browntown, Brownstown Speedway on March 18th. So uh, you got a doubleheader weekend. you got a little, uh, little time, a little extra dough. Grab a hotel room in between and make the trip. It's always uh, a good show with the Lucas Oil Late Mile Dirt Series. And then... We cannot be remiss by not mentioning this great annual event uh, that we always have a pleasure of attending, Rich. Yeah, Zach, uh, if you don't want to, if you're not going to make the trip south and you happen to know how to roll one of those balls with three holes in it. Or even if you don't. <laughs> or even if you don't. And you want to come out for a good, like us, right? Yes. Uh, and you want to come out for a good time. The Michigan Auto Racing Fan Club Bowling Tournament presented by Northside Towing this Saturday, March 18th. Royal Scott Golf and Bowl in Lansing on Grand River, easy to find. Best deal around, just like they say for the Michigan Auto Racing Fan Club. Twelve bucks for two games. Sign-ins at from noon to twelve forty-five. We bowl at one. Award ceremony at three. <clears throat> Zach and I have been there the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, I know Zach's gonna. He's he's shining his ball up as he speaks. I know you're gonna have that thing ready to go. And I'm gonna bring my wife because last time I brought her, she won the fifty-fifty. Uh, so uh, you know maybe we'll come out of there a winner. And if you're not good at bowling, they do have a tough luck award for this bowling tournament. So you should come. Yeah, so you could you can stink it up and still walk out with a prize. That's right. Now, for me, you know, with with, with my age. It, happens sometimes i have a a few body parts that aren't working the way they should right now so i (laughs) I may be a volunteer uh taster at the bar there at the bowling alley come up and say hi to me that might Uh, be a good job for you maybe i'll buy you one yeah yeah Yeah, that might be i think you're qualified for that We'll talk about the show. I, I can do that real Absolutely. well, Absolutely. Uh, hey, we do have one other thing. Uh, great friends, a great friend of the program. We've got a great connection with Tony Izzo and 16 race promotions. As as Rusty mentioned, Thaw Brawl coming up uh, March 23rd through the 25th at Davenport Speedway in Iowa. Uh, this is going to be a great event. It's back. It took a year hiatus last year. It's back for 2023. They're looking forward to it. Davenport Speedway, Davenport, Iowa, March 23rd through the 25th. And it sounds like maybe some of our guys are going to go out there and see what that's all about. So um, that's going to do it. Uh, I know there's an that's MS- it? That's uh, all we got? That's all we got. There's an MSPA meeting coming up this week. I guess we could talk about that if we needed to fill the next five minutes. But I think we've been here plenty long enough. <laughs> yeah, we, we have some more stuff to announce coming up. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're at an hour and a half. Our time's up. That's it. Right That's now. all we got. Yeah. Remember when the show was an hour? Uh, okay. Hey, I do want to say thanks so much to Jim Slade, Rusty Schlank, for making time for us tonight. Uh, appreciate Rich France for all the work that he does, Scottman and the Bills. And for all of them, I'm Zach Heiser, thanking you so much for tuning in to another episode of Horsepower Happenings. You've been listening to Horsepower Happenings. The views and opinions expressed in tonight's show may not directly reflect that of Horsepower Happenings. The contents of this program may not be reproduced, retransmitted, or disseminated without the express written consent of Horsepower Happenings. Follow Horsepower Happenings on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and iTunes to keep up on what's happening.